I just want to remind you this morning that there's a pretty big difference between coping and living in the light of hope. Now, now coping in many ways is one of those things that we do. There's lots of different ways. Some of you will remember this from a psychology class that you took at one time, maybe, that there are coping methods that people have. One of the common coping methods when life gets heavy and discouraging, especially when you're mourning the loss of someone, is denial. Another is repression, where you try to hide those things. Displacement, that's the, the proverbial kicking the cat, you know, when you get angry with someone else because of an experience. I, I feel bad for all fast food workers in the world today, uh, because there's times when you go through a drive through line or whatever, and you could just tell that they just uh, took a hit, right? So displacement, getting angry with someone who, because of discouragement, regression, rationalization. Uh, I'm going to make my own, and that's called moping, right? Uh, you know, the, the Eeyore rules, you know, that I forgot today to stop and be happy, right? Because I've experienced pain. My life's heavy. And so when we, when we talk about this Christmas series that we've been going through together, back in the 1840s when French poet Placide Chapeau penned these famous words that we have sung, uh, we continue to sing. I just wanna, want you to hear the, the, the lyrics of O Holy Night again. I will not sing it for you, um, but I'll read it for you today. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears, this is a great phrase, and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. You know, we live in a world that is weary. We've talked about this. When when he penned these words, there were reasons to be weary. When Isaiah, who we will study today, um, when he was writing the words that he penned through the inspired inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that there were reasons to be weary. And I think for you and I, we recognize that, especially in the day and age that you and I live in, that there's a reason for people to be weary. And uh, someone has said it like this, when it comes to coping mechanisms, and we can think of a million of them, that coping is a little bit like, like a rope, that, um, that it has its fibers that, that, that tie together, but that, that over time, there's going to be a time when that rope no longer is load-bearing, right? It cannot sustain the weight of the burden that we have. And today, as we study God's word, we're going to talk about, uh, interestingly, uh, a description of our God, his right arm, how strong his arm is, that he is continuing to be at work for us and that he understands our needs more than what we do. And as we mope together, as we cope together in a world that's broken, I, I'm not making this up. This is totally a thing. Uh, you may not have heard of this yet, but in Ohio, one of the ways that um, we have the opportunity to cope with our um, our, our weariness is a rage room. That is a thing in Akron, and I'll describe it according to their website. So um, it is a room where you can, um, it's also known as a smash room or a anger room, and it is a room designed to vent anger and destroy items within the room. Um, clients, uh, for a small fee, like 100 bucks, clients for a half hour, that sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Okay. Um, so uh, for $100 for a half hour, clients can break items by throwing them against hard surfaces or destroy items by smashing them with tools. These tools include sledgehammers, baseball bats, golf clubs, or crowbars. Um, so after the church service in the garage, we've got, or no, we're not going to do this. So, so 
so what do I get to destroy, the website says. Well, the rage rooms consist of various household or office items, including kitchen appliances, televisions, printers, and more. The, the rage room also offers the option to bring your own breakable things. Um, your own breakables could include anything from a coffee, coffee cup from a bad breakup to the old office printer that caused you years of headaches. I am not making this up. This is a thing, right? You can do parties there. Like, can you imagine taking your 10-year-old for their, no, not bouncy castle, it's to destroy stuff with a sledgehammer. How fun is that? So, um, you, you even, uh, I thought this was weird too on the website that it says you could even choose your own music. Isn't that nice? So, um, you know, the, uh, on their motto, Rage Room Ohio, you really can check this out. Some of you need to stop doing that during church, but... If you look at it, uh, Rage Room Ohio, their motto is eat, sleep, smash, and repeat. <laughs> eat, sleep, smash, and repeat. You know, this morning, I, I think that there's probably some truth in that, that when we talk about a weary world, when we talk about a world that's discouraged and we talk about coping method, methods, you know, those, those things that we grasp to, to attempt to get us through to the next day, I just want to encourage, I want to celebrate with you this morning that as Christ followers, for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is so much more for us to rejoice in. There's so much more for us than to just cope and survive and get through the next day. But actually, we have the privilege of experiencing hope. And I want to remind you that hope is not an empty anticipation of something that might go our way. But I want to remember that hope is expecting that God is going to fix what's broken around us. That the God that we serve, he knows about our world. He's aware of it. We're going to read it in, in scripture today. This, this passage in Isaiah that we're going to study, we're going to look briefly at one we talked about last week. And I think as we study this together, you're just going to see God knows what I need. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He knows what I need. And it's personal to us. But beyond that, we're also going to see the provision of the incarnation that it's always tied to Easter, right? It's always tied to the gift of the cross that Jesus died for us so that we can anticipate his redemptive work in our lives. And so we celebrate. So here we recognize that in a world that is trying to find this in the wrong place, it's kind, kind of like the world around us is trying to go to Amish country to look at Christmas lights, right? It just doesn't work out that well, right? And, and we can figure out, I want to I challenge you as we dive into this passage of scripture together, that, that I want you to think about what are the things in my life that I have the tendency to reach out for, to hold on to, that are not the promises that the Lord has for me? What are the things that I lean on to just cope and survive? We know that with coping, whether it's the rope image that it gets frail with us or that it's just pushing down the line, the reality of pain that is, is down the line. I just want to challenge you to consider that you are not going to find what you need by coping, by denying, or by moping, right? You're just not going to find it there. But we praise the Lord that, just think of some of these promises in scripture. I hope you have these memorized in your life. It says, so do not fear, in Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. 
I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hebrews 13.5 says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Revelation 1.8, the, the, the passage of scripture that tells us so much about the rest of the story. It says that I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. I am the Almighty. That is the one that is for you today. For, for some of us trapped in anxiety, we've, we've mentioned it before as being a, a form of what I'd call temporary atheism, right? That we, we look at the circumstances of our life and we say, I can't handle it on my own. I agree with you on that. Uh, but, but to forget that the God of the universe can handle it falls short of understanding his word. It falls short of the fact that we can rejoice that God is going to restore, praise the Lord, what is broken. He is our living hope. And, and today, as we studied this together, that we, we rejoice because he is still our living hope, that he lives, that he continues to be at work in our life. His mighty right hand continues to fight for us. So this morning, I want to remind you, the first point this morning is your God is actively pursuing you. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Um, we're going to pick up um, a passage that we studied together last week, and I want to point out a few other things in this. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to pick up in verse 6. Uh, familiar words written some six, 650 years before Jesus uh, came to the earth, before the incarnation uh, we read these words, for to us, I just want to pause there, for to you, for to us, the world that is around us, for to us, a child is born, for to us, a son is given. This is custom fit, designed for your deepest needs, a gift from the God of the universe that knows exactly what we need, and he knows you personally. I love that he knows our weariness, he knows our fears, he knows what brings us joy, he knows us perfectly. And I, I think that this is partially why Christmas resonates for those around the world. If you've traveled this time of year in other countries, you'll see Christmas celebrated, places that, that know very little or speak very little of the Christ of Christmas. And, and, and it's fascinating to me, you, you think of the experience, the day that the first man walked on the moon, that, that when he made that statement, one small step for mankind, one giant, or one small, small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, when he said that statement, the entire world was impacted by this event. I think Christmas resonates for us because we know something big happened at that time. And for those of us who know Christ personally, we recognize that, that when it says, for to us a child is born, he knows us perfectly. He understands our needs. And I think that it's essential for us to understand that the deceiver who wants to steal, to kill, and to devour wants nothing more than for us to live in a spiral of discouragement. Discouragement is one of his best tools, isn't it? It's one of his, his tools. We think of evil and harming one another. And hurt. Just think of if I can steal away a person's momentum in their life, their desire to live, their, their ability to see truth for what it is that tomorrow is under the care of the Lord like today is under the care of Satan's so good at, at stealing away our courage in our lives. It's one of his masterful tools to steal, to kill, and to devour. But the Lord that we have, he gave us this son as a gift custom fit for our needs. 
And it goes on to say that he is sovereign. We use that word often in church circles, and we, we don't think of it in political terms or reigning terms, but think of it as, as he, the fact that he is one who reigns. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Now, you know, I love this. I, I mentioned this last week, but just, just think what we need to survive today. People in this room that are mourning, people in this room, some of which are joining us through a hospital room because they're sick today. People who are joining us around the country because they're visiting family, some of which whose family doesn't know the Lord. Some who are wrestling with where they're going to work next year. How are they going to make ends meet? Just think of what God knows that you and I need discernment. And so he gives us a wonderful counselor. He knows we need mighty power and he gives us our mighty God. He knows we need a new identity, and he literally gives us an everlasting father. He knows we need hope, and what does he give us? He gives us a prince of what? Prince of peace. Isn't that encouraging to you? He knows exactly what we need amidst our weariness. Love the, the beautiful story of Luke 1.30, the, the, the personal nature of the Lord being given. And we think of Mary receiving Christ, but I want you to just hear this again. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I, I want to encourage you, church family, that that verse 30 was not just a promise to Mary, but it was a gift to each one of us. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and, his, um, and of his kingdom there will be no equal. So, so here this phrase, everlasting father, prince of peace, the next, the next uh, passage in verse seven, the way it describes this, it describes it beautifully of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. He has not abdicated his rule. This is not too heavy for him to lift. Of course, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isn't this great? So this is saying to us that he reigns. This says to, says to us that he chose to seek and to save that which was lost. And in that process, he found you. In that process, he chose to give you the opportunity to allow him to be your prince of peace. Do you understand when we study this, the beauty of the gift of Christ in Christmas at this time, when we use language like seek and save that which was lost, we have a choice to receive or reject this gift. Did you hear about the man who is in England or uh, in the UK who lost um, what they say? I, I can't figure out Bitcoin. I know that there, it involves a lot of things in computers and you have to dig this. Like, I, I don't get it. Okay, I'll be honest. Uh, you can tell I don't have a lot of it at this point, right? But did you hear about the man who threw away a computer hard drive that after the fact realized that he had lost it and it was um, sent to a dump and they believe that it contains about a quarter of a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. So um, I read an article where he's talking about his plan to try to convince those who oversee the junkyard to allow him to dig through what they're estimating to be 400 to 500,000 tons of garbage to be able to find this thing, right? 
So, so he had something that was precious, he neglected it, and now he really wants it back, right? I, I want you to understand when we talk about the value of Christmas, when we talk about the Son of Man coming to seek and to save that which was lost, when we talk about his relentless pursuit of you, is that he has found you. The question for each one of us is, what are we going to do with the precious gift? Are we going to receive it? Are we going to accept it? So when we say that he is not just our hope, but that he is our living hope, the question for each one of us is, are we going to receive the gift that he's given us? So he has not abdicated his role. He is intimately involved in the details of our day-to-day lives. And he, he is in the process of revealing to us how precious we are to him because of the precious gift of Christ. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, some of you, as we read these verses, they're going to look really familiar to you because when, when Isaiah penned these words in Isaiah 53, these words will be quoted in the New Testament some 80 times. Uh, if you've ever had a Kindle, some of you have a Kindle. I love my Kindle. And um, you'll notice on Kindle that um, if you highlight something, uh, you can find what other people found valuable in other portions of script or other portions of the book. Like, have you noticed this? Some of you have it. Um, it's interesting to me that in the inspired word of God, these verses that we're going to look at today were found so helpful in other um, time periods and in the New Testament time period. All scripture is inspired by God. But, but here, this declaration of the coming Messiah was so helpful that it allows us to, to see this repeated some 80 times in the New Testament. It's really impressive. But in that process, let me just remind you of what was happening in Isaiah's time. They were weary. They were suffering. They were suffering at the hands of not great kings. They were suffering at the hands of enemies that were surrounding them that were mighty and strong and threatened Judea, the kingdom that Isaiah was a prophet over. And, and so you, you look at this time, things are kind of pressuring around them. They're, they're experiencing pain. And what God reminded them through the prophet Isaiah, and this is so important, is that they were thinking they had the wrong enemy. They, they were assuming that their problem was a political problem. They were assuming that the national problem was one of self-defense and they need to strengthen them, their armies. Or what, what actually they needed to recognize is that it was their sin that was drawing them away from the God of the universe. And this is a tale as old as time. When we study Isaiah 53, um, and when we see this, one of the things that, that we recognize is when Jesus came, the one we celebrate, the one the wise men expected, the one Herod was so intimidated by that he um, practiced infanticide to try to kill off those who would potentially be threats to his throne, the one that Mary gives us the bold prayer in scripture of the provision of God on her behalf, we look at all of that, and when it came, I just want to remind you, he did not meet people's expectations. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that our expectations of Christ from the beginning have fallen short of what he truly is. Verse 1 in chapter 53 says this, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. This description is of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it describes him as being someone who was normal. 
uh, that he was someone who did not stand out because of his appearance, um, that he was someone who, when he entered into the world, we talk about his swaddling clothes, and he had to have his swaddling clothes changed, that he cried, that he was fully man when he was born. But we also recognize in the way that only God could do this, that he was also fully God. It's when it says this in the description of the text, I just want to encourage you. Warren Wearsby talks about this, this arm. It says, when God rolled up his sleeve, the arm that he exposed was not the powerful arm of a weightlifter, but a very ordinary looking arm, but he doesn't stop there. Nevertheless, that arm would prove stronger than any other arm. Isn't that a great phrase? The, the, the statement there is to say, he still is mighty. In this description of a plant that comes up that was unexpected, when we bought our home, the people before us who owned it had spent money on a, on a landscaping plan that was designed to, to pop up at different, different seasons, different times of the year, and it's beautiful. It at times looks completely dormant, like there's nothing there, or what is there looks like it's dead, but, but then in the proper time, it, it yields great fruit. It's beautiful. Here he's describing this in botanical terms that he sprouts up where it looks like there's death and dry ground. And, and it describes him as being someone who was normal. Um, there wasn't particularly special things about Jesus' appearance. He wasn't Brad Pitt or Denzel Washington or Paul Rudd or I don't know what else I should say. You guys have a name, right? Like that there's someone who you look at from the outside and you say that they, they appear beautiful to your mind. But, but Jesus was normal, and people rejected him. It, it's important for us to understand in verse 3 that it says that people rejected him because they didn't believe that he had anything to offer them. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as, from one, as one from whom men hide their faces. I, I want to stay here for just a second when we talk about our grief, I think that sometimes we, we want to move into the, the song, nobody knows the trouble I see, right? Nobody knows my sorrows. And I just want to encourage you, the Lord that you and I serve, the one that we claim to be our Prince of Peace, he understands our sorrows. He understands rejection. He understands the pain that we've experienced as one from whom men hide their faces. They couldn't even look at him. And he was despised, and he was, they esteemed him not, according to verse 3. So when they fail to see the precious gift of Christ for what it was, it does not mean that he allowed them to get away with the return to sender stamp, right? It doesn't mean that he allowed them to reject this precious gift, but he understood that some would, would be saved. He understood that some would receive the gift he recognized that some would, would recognize that he is their Prince of Peace, Mighty King, Everlasting Father, the King of Kings, that they understood that truth. And it leads us to the third point this morning, and that is when God fails to meet our expectations, and Jesus failed to meet many's expectations of the Messiah, that does not mean that God is not at work. When God fails to meet our expectations, it does not mean that God is not at work. I love what Alec, Alec J. Moyer puts it when he says this, when all that the human eye saw and the human mind apprehended about Christ was added up, the result was zero. They, they didn't see that he had anything to offer them. And yet, Jesus exceeded expectations in so many ways. 
that Jesus um, did this in verse four. It says this, it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Again, I just picture that mighty, strong arm of God. He's strong enough to handle it. That was, it was such a meaningful time in my life. The first time that I had somebody from a pulpit like this ask me if I thought that God was strong enough to handle the problems that I was going through in my life. It was convicting and humbling for me, to be honest, because I think I had thought about the fact, well, I have to hold on to him. But that challenge is one where here, as he describes it, he says here, surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Now we move from Christmas to Easter, the the recognition of the work of the cross. And he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That that phrase is wonderful. It was through his sacrifice that we have hope. So when a weary world rejoices, it is by the wounds. Literally, the text says, it is by his wounds that we are healed. What we know and what we recognize through passages like Hebrews 9, God's work through Genesis 3, the, the recognition that he has victory over sin and victory over death. And the next, the next verse is interesting. All we like sheep have gone astray. He's, he's going to describe us like sheep. I don't know how many of you have sheep, a few of you maybe. Um, I don't have sheep, but I have a beagle. And, um, and, and that dog, um, I don't know if God gave him a good brain, but he gave him a really strong nose, right? He smells everything. He, uh, one, one time he had been gone, like we didn't notice him because he really does just basically sleep all day. That's kind of his life. But uh, he had gotten out of our house um, and was gone for a couple hours. Um, and when he came back, I wish I had, um, what was the, is it the family circus, you know, where they have the cartoons where you like see like the little spot, like he, had, he was covered in mud. He looked so happy, you know, like he had, you know, who knows what he ate. I'm sure it was gross, you know, all of those things. But, but he, like, he, he is hard to argue with as I try to talk to him in English and, and try to explain to him, no, don't do this. This is how we're, ha. Ah. The idea of God describing you and I like sheep that need to be led, it's important for us to understand that he provided for us the good shepherd. Surely he has, um, surely, uh, for we are like sheep, the way it, it describes this in verse, verse 6 of, of chapter, um, let's see if we get this, 54. It says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me over to chapter 25, verse 8. We're going we're gonna to close with this thought. I think this is so, so powerful for us. It says this, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Drop the mic, we're done, right? Like, that's it. I get, like, this is his truth that he's saying to us that, that when he says that he will, he will wipe away the tears, he is not ignoring what makes you weary. I just think that's so important. He's not dismissing the fact that you have reason to suffer or to be discouraged or to be frustrated, 
But what I love about this simple truth is that he says, I will be the one. So the same God with the mighty right arm that is strong enough to handle our circumstances, the same God. Look at the intimacy of this. He will wipe away the tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Can remember with, with Karis, our eldest, the first time that she had to get a shot at the doctor and I remember Allie is holding her down um, in order to get that shot. And um, I can remember looking down at Karis's little, I mean, she's just an infant, my eldest. And I can just remember seeing these crocodile tears on her face. And, and I, I didn't know little kids, little babies, you know, she's my first. I don't know what's going on, right? So I didn't know infants could cry so much. And actually what it was, was it was Allie, as she's holding her, she's just weeping, you know? And her tears are just falling on, on my little daughter. Poor girl, she's getting a shot and she's getting a bath, right? But, but you, you get it, right? Like that when he says he's gonna wipe away our tears, again, he's not ignorant of our suffering. He, he conquered death. He brought us peace by his death. He carries our sorrows for us. And so this time of year, as we celebrate the goodness of our Lord, I, I want to pause for a minute and just celebrate some of the things that I think God's doing around us. Some of you have noticed, if you live in, in Brunswick or Strongsville, Medina, you have noticed that it feels like almost every square foot where there's like land, they're building something on it, right? And so, so people around us in other communities, maybe other states, are saying, I want to move to Brunswick, Ohio. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build. I'm gonna move into my home there. And and one of the things that I'm just praying for for us, for those of us who understand what it means to have the kind of rejoicing that can come in the midst of weariness, that I'm just praying that God's gonna use us to be salt and light in a dark world. Remember what salt does? It just makes things taste good, right? That, that they should know that, that, they, that we are the Lord's by our love for one another. That, you know, we have a small sign outside of Hope Church. And it's, uh, it's, I think, as big as we can get with the regulations in Brunswick. But, but we have a church family that serves as the billboard for Hope Church. And, and as these communities grow around us, as people move into this community, I hope there's Christ followers that say, I want Hope Church to be a place where I grow together, where I serve with other believers. I hope that that's the case. I hope, also hope that there's some people who've come into our community that don't know the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the, the Mighty King, that they don't know the promises of God and that we have the privilege of sharing it with them. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> Wouldn't that be what God, doesn't it feel like that's what God wants us to be as a lighthouse for a world that desperately needs to be exposed to his hope? I think that that's what he's asking of us. And in this Christmas season, uh, it's kind of interesting. In 1809, um, that was the year when the author who penned these words, O Holy Night, um, that penned these words, the weary world rejoices, was born. In the next year after that, there would be names of people who were born around the world. William Gladstone in England. Judge Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts, not too far away from that in Boston. Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful life. Uh, a man by the names of Charles Robert, uh, um, a, man, a doctor, a physician by the name of Darwin, would, he and his wife would name their child Charles Robert Darwin. 
um, in that same year. And that same year, it produced cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky. Um, And that was Abraham Lincoln. That same year, uh, all of these individuals were born into the, the world. And and on that day when they were born, you didn't know that they were going to have such an impact on history and society and community. But you know that day in Bethlehem when Mary and Joseph were focused in on uh, paying their taxes, right? Or focused in on obeying the law, doing what uh, was asked of them as a betrothed couple that, that they probably did not completely understand. Maybe focus more on swaddling clothes and keeping the baby warm and surviving um, than they did understanding that he was going to literally change everything. But we do, this Christmas time, when we call him our Prince of Peace, our everlasting Father, our mighty God, our wonderful Counselor, we recognize that he came to be exactly what a weary, near, a weary world needs. Didn't he? Isn't that it? Would you join me as we um, ask that the Lord would teach us how to apply this truth in our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your goodness. I thank you for each and every person that has joined us online, that's here in person, that you know them perfectly, you know what makes them weary. You know how to, uh, that, that beautiful image of wipe away the tears in their life. You know how to do that. Um, no, no person can do that beyond Christ. And so I thank you and celebrate that. I thank you for these ancient words that are ever true that speak to us today in a way that is incredibly relevant um, thousands of years after they were penned. Why? Because they're inspired by a God who knows our needs more than what we do. So I pray against any temporary atheism in this room that we would attempt to try to handle the pain and circumstances of our life in our own way. I think of Job and his frustration and his circumstances and you reminding him that you're God. Lord, would you remind us that you're God? Would you make us generous with the gospel? Would you remind us that you are truly our Prince of Peace? We love you. Uh, We celebrate your goodness and we ask that you be exalted as we leave from this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand.